Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Are you all good? Excellent. It's really great to uh, be here. I'm just going to set my iPad up because these days that's what you do. Just bear with me a second. I um, Just out of interest, does, um, does anybody like cats? Okay, just a little, little just, I'm, I'm really fascinated. It's a, it's a critical survey, really. Um, if you like cats, raise your hands. Okay, all right. If you're more of a dog person, raise your hands. Okay, if you'd rather save the money and get a Sky Sports subscription. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the third. I'm the third. Well, uh, we... I'm from Bradford originally, spelt B-R-A-T-F-O-R-D. And um, in Bradford, which is how we pronounce it, um, we had a cat. And um, we then moved from Bradford to Huddersfield. We took, we took the cat with us. And um, we, we lived in one of these, you know, these like um, these new housing areas um, where like if, if, you, if you buy a house there, you notice the difference between a house built within the last 20 years and a house built, say, 60 years ago. The minute you try to put anything that vaguely resembles something heavy onto the wall. So it's, it's that sort of house. And uh, we lived in a cul-de-sac. And um, one particular morning, I, I, I got up, I, I came down the stairs, and uh, Blackie, the cat, he was a ginger tom, um, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, Blackie the cat had come through the cat flap. And uh, I, I, at that time, he knew that I would feed him. So I began to put the food into the bowl. Uh, and as I put the food into the bowl, he had this bit of a habit of, of brush, brushing past you as you were putting the food into the bowl. And he, and he brushed past me. And I just happened to notice he, he had a wound on his... Um, <clears throat> what do we call it? Bum bottom? What are we it's church? What are we allowed, Pastor? Posterior, if you don't mind. <laughs> he, he had a wound on his posterior. And um and I thought, oh that 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 didn't that didn't look good at all. And um and it, it, it looked a little bit infected, if you will. And uh, so I, I thought, best, best not mess about and sort of just see what happens, really. But then I noticed he had another wound above his eye. And I thought, oh, this looks, this looks really quite, quite bad. So I thought we'd better take him to the vet. So we took him down to Petsar Us. I think that's what they call it. It's been a while. And uh, just to point out, there are other vets available on the market. Um, so we took him down and, uh, you know, he knew this wasn't going to be a good day. You know, they, they know, don't they? They cats, when you put them into that box, they've, they, they, they know this is not by and large going to turn out that well for them. And, uh, so we, we, we took him to the vets and, uh, they got him onto what, what basically resembled like a large concrete slab with a rubber mat, um, that had got a lot of gouges taken out of it where I'm suggesting many pets had had unhappy hours uh, on, on, on said slab and rubber mat. And um, so the vet says, oh, what, what's the problem? I said, oh, he's got a wound on his eye and a wound on his posterior. I mean, I think I said bum, but I was in the vet's not church then. So, um, so, so the vet looked at the wound on the eye and looked at the wound on the, the posterior, because we're back in church now, and uh, he said, oh, it's, it's, it's easy to see what's happened here. So I thought this would be interesting. So I said, oh, please enlighten me, Mr. Vet-type person, uh, as to what's, what's happened here. He said, well, I think what you'll find has happened is Blackie's been walking down your cul-de-sac and I thought, that's impressive. He knows we've got a cul-de-sac from a wound. This is very impressive. I mean, we had got a cul-de-sac, but that really freaked me out, you know. So it's a little bit weird. He said, he's, Blackie's walked past a hedge. And again, slightly freaked me out because 
you know, we did have hedges in this cul-de-sac. I'm just not sure how he managed to ascertain this from a couple of wounds. But anyway, we'll suspend that for now. And he, he walked down and he said, Blackie, not he, the, the cat, the pet didn't walk down. That would have been weird. <laughs> so Blackie walked down the cul-de-sac, past the hedge. This is what the vet's saying to me. And, 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 and a cat's jumped out from behind the hedges, clawed Blackie on the eye. And Blackie has turned to run away. And in the turning, he sustained a further injury on the posterior. That's what the vet said had happened. I said, no, let, let me stop you right there. Blackie is a Bradford cat. He doesn't turn away and run away from anybody. Let me, looking at the same wounds, tell you what I think happened. I'm willing to go with it that he came down the cul-de-sac I'm not deducing that from the wounds. I'm deducing that for the fact I've driven down it for the last five years. I'm willing to go with the fact that a cat has jumped out from behind a hedge because I know there's uh, hedges there. I know that firsthand. I'm not looking at the evidence to suggest that. I know firsthand that that happened. I said, well, let me tell you what unfolded in the minutes directly following the passing of the hedge. As Blackie passed the hedge... And a cat jumped out, first of all, scratched him on the posterior. Blackie turned round to front up to the 19 cats that were before him and sustained a further injury above the eye. But you should see the state of the other cats. That, that is what I think happened. Okay, who's going to go with the vet's description this morning? Dave, put your hand down. We're fellow ministers. We're supposed to stand with each other, okay? Just because it's your one opportunity to agree with the preacher, okay? Okay, who thinks my interpretation's right? Thank you for your support. Who's not really sure what happened on that fateful night? And who, to be quite honest with you, isn't really bothered that you've got better things to think about? The lethargy in here, I don't know how you cope with it. The truth is, both the vet and I looked at the same evidence and drew a different conclusion from it. And, and both you could prove, to a degree you could prove in inverted commas, what happened. The, the evidence, the facts that were suggested uh, w- would match both stories, wouldn't it? But in truth... Neither I nor the vet was there, so we're making a decision on something. We're believing something about what happened without actually really seeing it. I think proof is the subjective interpretation of evidence. Proof is the subjective interpretation of evidence. People say to me, oh, how can you believe in a God you can't see? Or is it even reasonable? Can we have the next slide, please, sir? Is it even reasonable to believe in a God you can't see? And, and they look at evidence and they say, when it, when it proves this and, or when it proves that. But in truth, we all believe in things that we have no real experience of. The, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I'm not pretending to be a scientist. There are people here who are much more scientific than me. I, I, I don't know if I said last time when I was growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer and looking at evidence fascinates me. And uh, so I've done quite a bit of research for these reason to believe talks down through the years. And one thing I discovered quite recently, which was interesting, is there's been, as oft there is, there's been a resurgence of an, of an age-old debate. And uh, it's kind of just had a little bit of new momentum. And um, it's whether we live in a multiverse or whether we live in a universe. Now, I'm not going to explain the difference between those because I'm not fully sure what it is. That's one of the reasons why. But essentially, the, the, the sort of the bare bones of it is, is um, there's a, a, a theory that we live in a universe, i.e. we are the only universe. Or there's a theory that we live in a multiverse, which is we are one of many universes happening simultaneously at the same time. 
That's the basic thing. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But just for our understanding, can you, can you see how some believe in a universe and some believe in a multiverse? And this is what's really fascinating. Scientists tell us all the science, all the proof tells us that we live in a universe. And then other scientists with equal prominence are telling us that all the evidence, all the proof suggests that we live in a multiverse. So can you see the tension? So I don't think we have the luxury of science definitely proves this thing or science definitely proves this thing. Because there are people even within the scientific community that have staunch disagreements with each other, even though they both look at the same evidence. And why is that? Because they, like you and me, were kind of not there to observe it firsthand. And so we have to look at the evidence and say, what does that suggest? What does that prove to us? And we all have our own bias, right? Which, which does affect how we interpret evidence. So I think we don't have the luxury of saying that you can't believe in a God just because you can't see him. When I've been chatting to people about this, I often ask them, how do you think we got here? And um, I said to one of my friends, actually, again, just a few months back, I said to him, because he said, oh, I really struggle, because everything for me has got to be provable. I've got to be able to, to almost see it. So I said, oh, right, okay. So do you struggle to believe in, in God because you can't see me? He said, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I said to him, how do you think we got here? And he said to me, Big Bang. I said, right, was it hot? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, was it loud? He said, what do you mean? I said, was it bright? He said, what do you mean? I said, did you jump? Like when he went, Bang! Some of you jumped then, sorry about that. When it went bang, did you like go, ah! I mean, like, did you spill your cup of tea? Because when I've got a cup of tea and I hear a noise, tea's gone, you know, it's all over. It's like, and it's, even, even my wife speaking to me can make me jump with my cup of tea. And it's like, no relation between the wife speaking and Big Bang, by the way. I'm not saying that she's noisy or anything like that. Don't let that get back to her, whatever you do. That was just a slip up in sentences that I'm putting together. It wasn't thought through and I didn't mean it. I need to say that because the girls are here and like things get back when the girls are around. You know what I mean? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, he said, you've been deaf. I said, no, I'm not. You must have been there. He said, well, I wasn't there. He said, why do you think I was there? I said, oh, it's just because you said that you only believe in things that you see. So I just assumed that because you believe in the Big Bang, you must have been there to see it happen, which I think is an unfair assumption to make from his suggestion, from his conversation. Hey, look, my purpose this morning isn't to debate the Big Bang or evolution or any of that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is people often say, how can you believe in a God you can't see? And as though that's wrong for believing in him when you can't see it. But actually the truth is all of us believe in things without seeing it, without having any first-hand knowledge. A friend of mine said to me, yeah, but the problem is you just can't prove it, can you? Next slide, please. Of course, you can't prove it. I want you to imagine, okay, Dave and Matt, okay, your little illustration for this morning, okay. I want you to imagine that this is a classroom this morning. Can you, can you imagine that? Some of you are struggling to do anything, aren't you? Let alone imagine a classroom. Okay, just imagine it's a classroom, okay, and um, can you suspend reality and imagine that I'm a teacher? Thank you for your encouragement and your warmth. Okay, and then, and then I need you just to imagine something further, that you're all hard-working students, and that Dave and Matt are sat at the front of the class, and I don't know whether you're going to be able to imagine this, but they're really naughty boys. I don't sense they're having any problem imagining that. A little, little bit concerning, really. So just imagine, all right, they're sat on the same table. You're all hardworking. I am turned round, writing, ladies and gentlemen, on the blackboard. None of you rubbishing your LCD panel screens or anything like that. Because blackboards, you can do this with. And some of you are already getting funny skin out you at the thought of it. You even know, don't you? I didn't even need to say it. And you're going, stop it, stop it. So I'm writing on the blackboard and uh, writing something down about the lesson. You're all really hard working. As I turn around, I, 
See, he just needed a license, didn't he? <laughs> That's brilliant. As I turned round, Dave and Matt are messing about. Like, un- yeah, yeah, look at that. And they're, and they're like kicking each other under the table. Now, you lot, you can't see it because you're busy at work. You're the good students, yeah, good people. But they're not the good students. They're kicking each other, playing footsie under the table. And I turn around and I say, Dave, Matt, stop that. And they say, stop what? I said, stop messing about under the table. They said, we weren't. I said, you were. They said, we weren't, sir. I said, you were. I saw you with my own eyes. They say, you can't prove it. It's true. Can't prove it. I can't prove what I have just experienced firsthand. What I see and know to be true unequivocally true, I cannot prove it, but that does not change the fact that they were messing about under the table. It doesn't change it one iota. And so to simply say it can't be proved that God is real is actually no reason for not believing in him. Um, I probably got a little bit more excited than I should have done when I got a letter through the post saying you are summoned to jury service. I was a little bit giddy with excitement. Most people are not that excited about it. I was a little bit excited because I thought, this is the nearest I'm ever going to get to practicing law. (laughs) I was no longer a member of the jury on that day. I am telling you. In fact, I was quite proud of myself. I I, I got a little bit uncomfortable when I was listening to to the judge report something back. And uh, he clocked me. And he said, are you all right? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know what the proper procedures are. But you've said something incorrectly, Your Honour. <laughs> Honestly, I was, I was proper excited. And he said, no, I didn't. I thought, yes, you did, sir. He's, and we had to stop proceedings. And they had to go through the transcript and... Uh, Or as I'm saying, a pass for the bar in a few weeks' time. <laughs> the King George bar on just around the corner from our street. <laughs> but so I was quite excited. But this this is what fascinated me with this. As as we what so what happens for those of you who don't know? Obviously, a particular case comes in. Uh, the, the the jury's selected. It's kind of randomly selected from amongst the people that have been randomly selected to be there on that day. And you've got to go through a whole bunch of procedures. But eventually, when when you are going to be the jury, they, you're sworn in as the jury. And then the judge gives you like a little talk, essentially, for three or four minutes. And, and he says, I'm the judge of the law, speaking of himself. I'm here to make sure that everything that he's done today is legal. That's all my responsibility is in the proceedings today. And then he points to the jury and says, you're the judge of the evidence. He said, and your responsibility is to look at the evidence that you have and decide whether the person was guilty or not guilty. He said, you're not going to have all the evidence you would like to have. Sometimes you might have the evidence you'd like to have. Sometimes you won't. And what you have to do is you have to look at the evidence that is available. And even though you don't fully know, you have to ask yourself the question, is it beyond reasonable doubt? And if it is, then they're guilty. Or if it isn't, then they're not guilty. And it was quite frustrating because like most of the cases that I listened to as a member of the jury over that two-week period, we didn't have any scientific evidence to go off. All we had to go off was the word of a witness. And, and in sometimes it was the, the person that was on trial against the person who was accusing them. And, and sometimes you didn't have any external witnesses even. You just had to listen to what they say and listen to what they say. And without really knowing, without having any more evidence available, our legal system deems that sufficient for us to say whether they were guilty or not guilty. And so I don't quite know why why we put such a big emphasis on scientific proof as the be-all and end-all as to whether we can prove that God is real or not. If you're here today... And at this point in your life, you've never said yes to God. Let me encourage you to talk to lots and lots of people from this church and listen to them giving evidence as a witness 
giving what we even call in the church their testimony. These are two legal phrases. And admissible in evidence would be their testimonies, what they say. And listen to what they say and, and, and build up a decision about whether God is real. And come to it in an open-minded way. We can't purely rely on science. And this is not to be disrespectful to science. I think science is amazing. But you do need to understand that what science can say with great ferocity 30 years ago can say the opposite in a few years' time. Because that's how science works. It's a progression of discovery, of knowledge and looking at evidence. In fact, I read an article recently about the Big Bang. And in the kind of, around the 50s, I think it was, where the Big Bang kind of gained some real kind of um, prominence as, a, as an option for how this world came about. It was like massive, this is it, we proved it. There was a little article, and I think it was in the Times magazine, just about a year, 18 months ago. It was a very, very small article that said, we think we may have got it wrong about the Big Bang. That never got headlines but that was a bona fide piece of research. And that's why we've got to be a little bit careful about what we build our decisions about God upon. Can't be proved. It can be proved just in different ways. But even if it can't be proved, it doesn't mean that it's not true. And then people go one step further, which is almost a contradiction to what I've just talked about in terms of the the point. Next slide, please. They say that science has disproved it. Okay, I'm, I, I'm not a scientist, as I've mentioned to you. Um, but science works on, on a simple principle, which I will, I will illustrate very, very simply. Can I just go to this microphone, please, so I can go hands-free for a minute? I held two microphones, one microphone and one to So I'll put this down, yeah? Has that really annoyed you now? Thank you. Okay, so this uh, simple description, which I've run past a professor of mine to help us to understand something simple about about science. Uh, We're going to use the analogy of two chemicals, okay? If you mix chemical A with chemical B, so this is chemical A, this is chemical B, and you get a reaction which, for the purposes of this morning, we're going to call C, okay? Are you with me? So chemical... I'm going to get the hands wrong, aren't I? It's guaranteed. Get a reaction called? Okay, brilliant. Well done. So, to say that we have proved that when you mix chemical A with chemical B, you get a reaction called C, you have to do it two times. You have to be able to repeat the experiment and observe what took place. Science works on the basis that things are repeatable and observable. And you've got to take chemical A in exactly the same form and state as you did in the first experiment. And you have to mix it with chemical B in exactly the same form and exactly the same state as you did in the experiment to start with. And and if you then, and you mix those in exactly the same environment... If you mix chemical A plus with chemical B, even if you get the same reaction, you can no longer say when we mix chemical A with chemical B, we get a reaction called C. You have to do it in exactly the same environment. If you then mix chemical A in the same form with chemical B in the same form and you get exactly the same response called C, then you can say categorically that scientifically we have proved that when you mix chemical A, With chemical B, you get a reaction called C. Then you're safe to move on to make that a scientific statement. Herein lies the problem. You can't prove God scientifically. You can't get him to happen again. You can't observe him again. I mean, for all sorts of different reasons. You can't stick him in a test tube and put him over a Bunsen burner. We can't prove God scientifically. All we can do is seek to prove other things around God scientifically. And even then there's some weaknesses in those kinds of arguments. All as we've done is prove those other things. We cannot use them as criteria then. There's some big logical steps to make to then say whether God is real or not. It's the wrong way to prove God's existence. I'm not 
here to slay anybody. Um, I, I'm fascinated by a lot of people who aren't Christians. I read around a lot of people who aren't Christians and are social commentators and scientists. I find them, I find them fascinating. But one of, the, one of the problems that we have is, actually, he's, he's got a little bit less uh, time at the moment because quite a lot of people, actually, even in the secular and atheistic society, are getting a little bit fed up of him. There's a man called Dawkins. Have you heard of Dawkins? And, and Dawkins, his, his problem is that he doesn't want to believe in God. You, you can tell because he's pretty angry. He had some God experiences. And so his ultimate aim is to try and disprove God's existence. And he's worked on the basis, if he can prove evolution, then we prove there is no God. I want to suggest to you that's poor reasoning. Listen, if we prove tomorrow that evolution is true, all as we've done is prove that evolution is true. That's it. We've not proved anything else. We've proved that evolution is true. He said if we prove that evolution is true, then there is no need for God. Actually, he's understood something very wrong about what our need for God is. But even going with that logic, his brain says, his mind says, that if we prove evolution, there is no God. That's what he's proved. So here's the problem that I have with that. Let's say that we prove evolution is, 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 is true. Then actually what we've proved is that nothing about us was ever intended to be the way it is now. That what we have become is nothing more than a random set of chances. And there's all sorts of flaws in, in, in the evolutionary process argument. But again, please, I'm genuinely not here to debate evolution. I want to look at the, the reasoning that Dawkins uses. So understand that. So if, if I'm here in my random set of flukes and chances, nothing about me was ever intended to do what it is doing. No, so my heart, which is breathing, was never set out to be a heart that breathes. It just happens to breathe. My eyes were never set out with the express design to see and to look. It just happens that that's what they've become. So my, my legs were never set out to walk. I tell this all the time with my wife when she wants to go for a walk. These legs are not designed for that, love. Nothing about what my legs now do was ever intended. It's just that's what they ended up doing. My brain was never intended to produce thought processes. No comments on that, please. In other words, if I believe in evolution, then nothing about what I do and who I am now was ever intended. In other words, my thoughts are just a random set of collisions in my brain and they're happening because they never intended to happen. In other words, how can I trust my thoughts if they're just random? If my brain is producing something that we have labelled thoughts, how can I trust it? In fact, how can I trust anything about me? Because it just happened to get here. How can I trust my thoughts? And here's the deal, and this is where I see the inconsistency. How can I trust my thoughts about what it concludes, about whether God exists or not, just because we've proved evolution. My brain has made a leap, which it never intended to do. There's no purpose to that. So I think, on a simple level, there's some pretty flawed reasoning there. But then on a practical level, let me just read these to you this morning. Well-known geophysicist, Dr. John Baumgarten, who's a scientist at Los Alamos Laboratories, is respected for his work on plate tectonics, you know, the shifting of the Earth's crust, uh, and he's a Christian. Listen to this. Dr. Ian McCready is a highly respected scientist. He's at the forefront of research in a field which, to many minds, is most closely linked to evolution. He is a highly regarded Australian researcher into, bi uh, into molecular biology and microbiology. He's the author of 60 research papers. He's the principal research scientist at the Biomolecular Research Institute of Australia's Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation. That's a big business card, isn't it? He's the National Secretary of the Australian Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. Would you agree he's a bright boy? Would you agree he's probably at the forefront of science and he's a Christian? 
Most university professors have one earned doctorate. Some members of what's called the creation movement, for example, A.E. Wilder-Smith, have the rare distinction of three earned doctorates. Some of the leading scientists in the world historically and currently, a guy who's a serious player in the genome project, is a Christian. In other words, they believe in science and they believe in God. I was doing an interview, I was speaking at Durham University a number of years ago, I was delivering some of these sessions, and we did an interview with one of the professors there who's a believer, who was well known for being a Christian, and he was actually a biologist. So I was chatting to him, and I said, uh, Mr. Biologist Professor, I said, I do not find any tension, it's like, how do you cope with, like, believing in science and believing in the Bible? Because surely, like, that, lots of people think that's an impossibility, And he said to me something very, very simple. My science informs my Bible. My Bible informs my science. I believe in my God and I believe in my science. And the two live very nicely together. I think think it's just wrong to say that science has disproved it. You, you, You take that up with some of the leading scientists in the world and some of the most influential scientists that have ever lived on this planet of whom we benefit from their discoveries. Names that you would know, there's list upon list of them, were Bible-believing Christians. Uh, Next slide, please. I was doing a talk, actually it was in Burton, upon Trent, of all places. And uh, it was with, if you're not familiar, if you're a guest here this morning, this is, the Derby City Church is part of a network of, of about 550 churches called the Elam Church. And we've got various churches around the country, and one of them is in, in Burton. Upon Trent, and I was doing a, a, a barn dance of all things years ago, like, and I was speaking at the barn dance, not as they were dancing, because that would have been tricky following them around, wouldn't it? Uh, but but at the at the end, we had fish and chip supper, no bad thing, and uh, I did a little cheeky talk, and then I'm just stood at the door at the end, and this guy came to see me. He was really, really, really angry. He said, "I can't believe in God." So what do you mean? He said, because it can't be proved unless I see him. I can't believe in him. I said, what do you mean unless you see him? He said, unless he stands in front of me, I would not believe. I said, I don't even think you'd necessarily believe then. He went, yes, I would. I said, I don't think you do. I don't think you would. He went, I, I would. I flipping would. I said, I don't think you would. He said, I would. It went on for a little while. I don't think you would. I said, how would you know it was him? He said, well, that's just a daft question. I said, well, give me an answer then to show me that it's not a daft question. He said, well, he'd, he'd introduce himself, wouldn't he? So I said, let me get this right. All as it would take for you is for God to turn up on planet Earth and say, hi, I'm God. And then you believe. He said, yeah. I, I looked at him and said, no, he wouldn't. He said, yeah, he would. I said, I'm still not convinced. I said, it might, but I'm not convinced. He said, why did you say that? I said, well, 2,000 years ago, God turned up onto planet Earth and said, hi, I'm God. Some believed, some didn't. I mean, that was like, that was God. That was God right there in front of people. Some believed, some, I mean, like, for goodness sake, the the ultimate example of, of probably of proof is somebody standing in front of you. But even then, there's a subjective dynamic to it. Does that make sense? And I think, we've, I think we often give these reasons for why we shouldn't believe. But I, I want to just present to you this morning that actually far from seeing to believe, it's when you believe that you begin to see. It's when you believe that you begin to see. You see, we can't see God to believe. He kind of doesn't work that way. In fact, when I read the Bible... Most of it seems to suggest the more I stick with God, the more I get to understand him, the more I get to experience his reality. There is a a little step of faith involved in the early doors. But I want to say to you that Christianity is an evidence-based faith. It's not just this blind, empty step. But we're faced with this problem because when you're separated from something, would you agree it's hard for you to know whether it's real or not? 
And my Bible tells me, and for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, who are twitching because we haven't referenced it yet, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, if you can find your way around the Bible, that says to me that the things that I do that are wrong has separated me from God. So the fact that I do wrong and live my life without God has disconnected me from God, which means it's difficult for me to fully know whether he's real. But that's all right. My friend, who's a CID officer, says we we rarely fully know what happened. We just have to look and say, is it beyond reasonable doubt? Let's apply the same ethos to God as we apply to lots of things in life. Because I want to say to you, next slide, it's not as daft as you think. Now, can you go on to the next slide as well? Because I think there's a picture. Ah, brilliant. Okay. So this is um, in Mihas. You'll know Mihas because you have connections with uh, a, a guy called Dave Hodge, who is from the church here, who's, uh, who's working in that area. And uh, I went there for my honeymoon uh, 20-some years ago when I got married. And my father-in-law said, oh, you've got to go to the smallest museum in the world. And this is it. It's in Mijas on the Costa del Sol, the south of Spain. And uh, we went along to it, and um, the smallest museum it boasts, it's the first miniature museum in the world. Now, it's, it's not miniature because of its size per se, although you'll accept it's not particularly large. It's miniature because it's got loads of tiny little things on exhibition. Let me read to you a few, and then I want to take a survey to see whether you believe these are real or not. A naval battle with 37 aircraft and 12 ships painted on the head of a pin. A copy of Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper on a grain of rice. The Lord's Prayer on the edge of a business card. Don't know why they felt they should put these in, but clothed stuffed fleas. Random, but they felt the need. And the seven wonders of the world painted on a toothpick. Okay, who is cynical this morning and think that cannot be true? Okay, not too many cynics, that's good to know. Who thinks it probably is true? Okay, okay, who's not sure? And again, who's not really bothered? <laughs> Thanks, Matt, for your support. So, like, I'm, I am a little bit of a cynic at heart, right? And if, if, I, if I'm struggling to believe something, my brain tends to work, it can't be true. That's the way my brain kind of defaults to. So I, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit of a cynic. And um, many, many years ago when I first started out speaking, I did loads of stuff in schools. And one of the ways that I used to talk about my faith in schools, I'd do these massive sort of stage illusions, you know, the sort that you see on the shows that are all basically based on props, okay? Anything that you see happens, it doesn't happen however much they tell you it does, all right? So, uh, so I kind of knew a lot of the tricks of the trade. And I, I walked in to this museum, and outside I'm going, no, it's just, it's mirrors, it's false cabinets, it's all that kind of stuff. So I'm having a little bit of an investigation. I'm on my knees banging on the underside. I mean, this is Emma's first experience of us visiting a museum together. Uh, you know, we've just not long been married, and I'm on my knees banging on the underside. And she's saying, get up, get up. I said, no, I've got to make sure. And so I'm like, I'm checking it. And, and I had to admit and concede defeat that these were genuinely small items. They had somehow, even though I couldn't believe it or couldn't accept it, somehow these things were real. And it's interesting because as I went round the museum, I went from being a cynic on the outside to investigating, to looking in whether it was reliable, the claims that it made. And by the time I got to like the end kind of exhibition, I was almost like blasé about it. I was almost unimpressed. You know, well, of course, challenge me. Seven wonders of the world painted on a toothpick. That's easy. You know, I, and, and actually, by the time I left it, I'd kind of gone on this very, very quick journey. Now, listen, I totally understand and totally believe, understand and totally believe your uh, sincerity when you say that it's just hard to believe it. Like some of these claims, Christianity, they're, they're just, they're hard to get your head around. I'm not going to lie to you. You're right. They are hard to get your head around. But actually, when we just 
take a little bit of a step back. A friend of mine said to me, Mark, I struggle with all those miracles and, and all that supernatural activity. I just struggle to get my head around it. And um, I, I said to him, well, what, what do you struggle with in, in particularly? He said, well, like some of those like, those like miracles that, that Jesus did, things just happening like out of the blue. And again, I said to him, so how, how, help me here. How do you think we got here? He said, evolution. I said, but didn't that just happen out of the blue? There's lots of things that we believe, but we struggle to use that same degree of belief. And I think it's because we've already decided it's not true. And I want to encourage you to get down on your knees and knock around and have a good old look. Because do you know what? Under scrutiny, Christianity stands up. It totally stands up. I'm just asking you not to restrict the way that you're going to look for evidence and going to look for proof. Because you know what? It's not as daft as you think. I mean, even if you take the world and look at the complexity of it, I haven't got time this morning to go into a lot of things, but um, if, 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 you, if you look at the universe on a nuclear night, it's pretty staggering, isn't it, out there? It's, it's pretty spectacular. There's something of a, a connection that you end up having with it. It does something to your soul. Years ago, it was estimated there were 60, 40 sextillion stars. That's six sets of six zeros. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't want the job of counting those, would you? Imagine you're halfway through and, and your wife calls you for your tea. I mean, they've got to start all over again, haven't you? I mean, that, but we, we believe that, even though we don't know. And even if you were to look at the... The distances to our nearest star from where we are, it, it's staggering so much that we have to refer to it as light years. Listen to this. Scientists tell us that to count the atoms in one cup of water, it would take 186 billion years at the rate of one per second. It's just fascinating. But this, I love this. This, I absolutely love this. There's a fish called the archer fish, and it predates our electronic age. But when it's in the sea, because that's where they tend to be, isn't it? When it's in the sea and it sees an insect flying six to seven meters above the surface of the water, it autom- listen, automatically calculates the angle of refraction. Do you remember that lesson? <laughs> Do you remember that one science lesson? Okay, where light bends. In other words, where the insect might look where it is actually isn't where it is. Because of how it's bent, the, the vision of it, the, the light's bent it through the water. And so what you've got to do is you've got the angle of refraction, i.e. where it really is. The archerfish automatically calculates the angle of refraction and sends a drop of water from its mouth. Hits the insect, plumb on the head and lunch obligingly drops into its mouth. I just find that staggering. When you read about one million light-sensitive nerve rods and cones in each eye, in each eye send impulses to the brain by 338,000 nerve cables. A grand piano, if you listen to a grand piano, it has, 24, 000, it has 240 strings and is a mechanism one million times larger than the human ear. When you hear that grand piano, you hear it because 24,000 strings in your ear vibrate. It's just staggering to the point where one day Isaac Newton, a well-known scientist and Christian, was working in his office and a friend uh, came in to see him. And his friend didn't believe in God. And he pointed to a clockwork aura, if you've seen them, it's one of those beautiful piece of engineering that shows the motion of the planets in relation to each other and uh, Newton's friend this atheist just looked at that and said wow that's absolutely stunningly beautiful where did you get that from and Newton just simply replied nowhere it just came into existence do you know what I, I just feel we I, I feel we relegate ourselves when we don't allow for the fact that God made us to be who we are if you relegate yourself to just a random set of flukes and chances, do you know what? It doesn't surprise me that we live in a world where people don't feel that great about themselves. Why would you feel that great about just ending up? But what about thinking that somebody intended 
you to be here, wanted you to be here, had a plan, had an, had a, had an image in his mind that when he said the words Mark Greenwood, he knew exactly what he wanted that to be. There's a guy in the Bible who had a similar feeling. It's called David. He looked at the body and said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He just looked at the complexity and the beauty and the intricacy and the way the human body just works. He said, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The philosopher Voltaire, who incidentally wasn't a Christian, said if God didn't exist, he would have to be invented. That's incredible, isn't it, right? That he's just like analyzing everything that's around. He'd have to be invented. It's just maybe you didn't want to believe in him. It's not as daft as you think uh, to become a Christian. Fifth thing, and this is just really to land this morning's talk. If we can have the next slide, please. That's brilliant. Others believe. Like you. <laughs> like you. If you're here today and at this point in your life you're not a Christian, you've not said yes to God and committed your life to him and living his way, there are loads of people in this church who have valid evidence for the fact that God is real and wants to have a relationship with you this morning. Valid evidence. At the very least, talk to them and listen to their stories. But when I meet so many different people and I've been, I've been privileged in my life, I've spent 29, coming up to 30 years this coming February, this coming January rather, just travelling around the UK and sometimes bobbing across to a few places around the world. And I've just met some incredible people from all walks of life. Some who are famous, some who are not. Some who are rich, some who are not. Some who are really successful and don't need God. That's what we say, isn't it? Don't really need him. And so he may be not successful. I've met people from all nationalities. And I'm inspired that the Christian faith is a global faith. I'm inspired because it's a historical faith. There are people that have connected with God down as long as the earth. And I'm inspired because it's a multicultural faith. Evidence for that even in this church. I believe because others believe and it helps me to keep believing. It's hard, I know, to take that step of faith. But I think sometimes we just have to realise we can't prove everything. But maybe proof isn't the right thing. One final story and then I'm just going to pray. So um, I love my wife. She knows it. She knows I love her. Yeah, she really, really does. And uh, she knows this because every night, I get wired up to an experiment and she says, tell me you love me. And when I tell her I love her, she sees like on the graph it going up and she knows scientifically that I love her. It's great, isn't it? It's been a real bedrock for our relationship. You know, that Emma knows scientifically that I love her. We have proved scientifically that, well, at least when I'm wired up to those machines anyway. Oh man, just imagine, just imagine that that was our love for God, scientifically proved you're real. So now I'm going to say, I'm going to follow you. Emma, Emma loves her, not through any scientific experiment. She just knows. She just knows. And it can be really frustrating when you talk to Christians. Because it's like you say, so how do you know? I just know. Yeah, but how do you know that you know? I just know that I know that I know. But how do you know that you know that you can go on for a while? We want. I just know. And we seem to take that as not, not fair or not right. You can't just say that you know. But surely that's how you work in any relationship. That you just know that somebody cares for you. You know that somebody loves you. And you know. I've never ever once seen any relationships tested through technology, apart from on Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> which I've never watched, right? It is reasonable to believe in a God you can't see. I've, I've never seen him. Some people would say they have. I've, I've never seen him, but I know. And I know because so many years ago I took a step because it seemed sensible, it seemed right, it seemed beyond reasonable doubt. And I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray.
a few moments, I'm just going to hand back over for the service to be finished. But um, if you're here this morning, I want to just give you a very simple opportunity to either say a big yes to God, which is what I call becoming a Christian. It's big yes simply means that you're saying, God, I don't want to live life without you anymore. I want to live life with you. And you make that decision and you go on that journey of discovery. But it starts by saying yes to God. Might be that you're here this morning and you're not in a place where you feel you can say a big yes to God. But maybe after this morning, it might cause you just to investigate, maybe to make a commitment to talk to some people, genuinely talk to them. It's what I call a little yes. It's making an intentional decision to find out more. And and why don't you, if you're not in a place where you can say a big yes to God, if you are, say that in your heart right now, not out loud. But if you're not in that place, why don't you say a little yes? It could be to God. It could actually just simply be to yourself. But you're making an intentional decision to find out more. But it might be that you're here this morning. You're saying to me, Mark, I'm not really ready to say a big yes or a little yes. I wonder whether I might invite you just to make a commitment to stay open-minded. I call it making a healthy maybe. Saying maybe there's something in this faith. But just keeping it healthy. Staying open-minded, being willing just to have a little look into it. You might not be able to feel you can put this big effort into it, but just beginning to tiptoe into looking into the Christian faith. If you're here this morning, whether you're a big yes or a little yes, healthy maybe, just in these final few moments of me chatting, why don't you internally make that commitment? And as you're doing that, my prayer for you, is that you'll understand that God's already said a big yes to you. Already said that to you. He loves you, cares for you, and longs to be in relationship and friendship with you. And may you discover that to be true. Amen. Uh, Matt, who started off with the service, has got a few booklets. It's a booklet that I wrote for uh, people just like yourself, whether you're a big yes, little yes, or a healthy maybe this morning. If you made some kind of uh, response this morning, we'd love to get you one of these. It's completely free of charge, so you can either get one from Matt on your way out. I'm going to loiter with intent down the front for a little while, and um, please come and get one of these from me. If you'd like us to help you more, maybe you could fill in one of the Connect cards that Dave mentioned right at the beginning, and just so we can help you find out more about the Christian faith. Thank you so much for listening this morning. God bless.